This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by EduCurious, learning that connects. EduCurious's standards-aligned curriculum facilitates deeper, transferable learning by engaging students in authentic inquiry work. Students build core content knowledge and civic engagement while developing skills in communication, collaboration, problem-solving, critical thinking, and creativity. EduCurious is currently offering multiple grant-funded professional development opportunities for educators. Learn more about EduCurious at edcuration.com. You're listening to the EdCuration Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. I've had at least 15 students who have increased more than four grade levels. He used theater as a tool to make great human beings. My expectations are high for all of them. One of the things that I really love about teaching is the fact that every day is sort of unique and different and strange. Deborah Heiser is an applied developmental psychologist and adjunct professor in the psychology department at State University, New York, Old Westbury. She studies aging, and in the process of that research, she got excited about helping middle-aged and aging people share their life's work and passion. Dr. Heiser founded the Mentor Project in 2017. She has since delivered a TED Talk on mentoring, authored a number of peer-reviewed articles, and is a highly sought-after speaker and presenter. We were so lucky to have her share the ways that the Mentor Project is partnering with schools all over the world to pair top experts across many fields with students and classroom communities, all at no cost to the schools. Dr. Heiser, it's such a pleasure and an honor to have you. And I'm hoping that you can start out by just sharing with our listeners um, about how you as a researcher on aging uh, got inspired to create the Mentor Project, because that's not a logical leap. Yeah, you know, it is not a normal leap to go from an aging researcher to mentoring and uh, running the Mentor Project. But I think that after I explain it, it might make some sense. I'm a developmental psychologist. So I look at aging from what's, what's expected, what we should expect in life, the normal. And one thing that I was noticing was that individuals have a lot to look forward to. And one of the things that we have to look forward to is giving back. And that doesn't make sense to younger people. But it does if you're 50 and older. We're built to do this, just like walking and talking. So I was looking at mentorship just from a sort of an anthropological way to learn more about it. And I got connected with Bob Cousins, who is the, he was the 2020 inventor of the year. And he's also the guy that patented how we use credit cards on the internet. And so he said, you know, People like me, we have a hard time finding mentees. We'd love to give back our expertise, but we don't know who or how to give back to them. And I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting because most of the world is looking for a mentor. How unusual that mentors can't find mentees. That was the beginning of it where I said, there, this is interesting. Let me learn more. And it turned out that 
Bob introduced me to Bill um, Cheswick, who is the one of the founders of the firewall and among other inventions. And once they got started, it became a snowball. Uh, Jen Snow came on board and she said, oh, I bet there's a million other people who'd like to join in. And we went from 10 to more than 90 mentors in less than a year. And so um, that's how it started. It wasn't, you know, so sitting down at a table and forming an idea it was that in actuality, real life played out the way that research and theories of developmental psychology suggest they should. So it was just one person after another person after another person yeah. wanted to be a part of this. Yes. And it wasn't us going out and soliciting mentors. It was people saying, I want to find mentees. I need to give back. And these are all people who've changed the world in some way, whether it's an astronaut or an astrophysicist or, you know, whoever it may be who's on the team. They are all volunteers. Everyone, uh, everything is offered for free. Amazing. I mean, and it's not surprising that people would have this tendency, right? Because you spend your life building up knowledge, expertise, skills, and of course you want to pass those on. Absolutely. You're right. When you hit adulthood, you're supposed to find a relationship, find a career, buy a house or live in a, in a place, buy a car, all of the boxes that you have to check. Mm -hmm. And finally, when you hit midlife, we're, we're um, really, and I keep saying this, we're built to sort of stop and reflect and say, now what? Mm -hmm. what I've done all of the stuff I'm supposed to do. What's next? Yeah. And it's not checking boxes at that point. At that point, what we are expected to do is to plant the seeds of what we have grown so successfully into the next generation or into someone else so that it carries on. It's the way we leave a legacy. It's our footprint. It's the way that we can say, my life mattered. It didn't end with me. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but this isn't true of everybody because in your research, you talk about this uh, Ebenezer effect of people who, who don't follow that road of wanting to give back. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I call it the Ebenezer effect. So if you think of Ebenezer Scrooge and um, a Christmas Carol, he's a guy who was a self-made, you know, wealthy man. He lived in a mansion. He had servants. He checked all the boxes, but he was not happy. So he, as soon as he started to give back, and have a meaningful connection with Tiny Tim and his nephew and everybody else, he became happy. And it's just as quick and it's exactly the same format in real life. We've found that as soon as people start to give away what they've accumulated and when they start to do it in a meaningful way with people that matter to them, immediately is joy. I love that because we're coming into the Christmas season right now as we do this interview. It'll air in January, but I, the Christmas Carol never gets old to me and my kids tease me about wanting to see it every single year. One of my favorite scenes in all of theater, and I worked in theater and taught theater for many years, so we're talking about a lot of theater. Anyway, one of my favorite scenes of all time is the scene where the ghost of Jacob Marley is explaining to Scrooge why he wears the chains he forged in life because he never helped anyone. And Scrooge argues, saying that Marley was such a good man of business. 
Jacob, it was business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common good. It gets me every single time. Exactly like you said, it, mankind. It's not just our, we come out of our sphere and we become more involved in the world um, around us. So good. So your work led you to start the Mentor Project. Tell us what that is. Oh, the Mentor Project is an amazing group of individuals who have come together who want to be able to give back. So what our mission is, is to bring experts in a variety of fields, science, technology, engineering, math, and then we expanded it to business, law, and arts, and, um, and entrepreneurship. And we bring the experts to mentor kids around the world in kindergarten through university for free. So We'll, I'll expand upon that a little bit. You can be 36 and in graduate school. We still count that. As long as you're in a school-aged individual, we provide mentorship for free. And we do that so that we can make a change in the next generation so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel, so that our knowledge and information can make it out, out of Silicon Valley to Missouri or Kenya or Tanzania or India or or anywhere in the world. We inspire kids through Ask Me Any, Anything sessions. So we'll have some of our really exciting mentors like astronauts or astrophysicists or um, artists come on and kids can talk with them one-on-one -on -one and in a group, um, asking them anything they'd like about what they do. We also do hackathons. We um, we're able to bring kids from Argentina, the U.S., and Russia together on teams. And so to see kids working around the world to solve problems with the help of mentors has been tremendous. And just this year, we've had um, two of our mentors help one young teen get two patents. That's something that is so um, difficult for adults because of the finance involved or the inaccessibility of patent attorneys and um, high-level innovators, uh, but we do that for free. And we've been very successful with getting kids high-level patenting work done for free. That's amazing. I'm about to stumble over a thousand questions right now. I'm just brimming. So I want to hear about the patents and what were his projects, but I also want you to say more about the hackathon. Tell us what that is. Oh, sure. So a hackathon um, is where we brought kids together to solve an epic challenge. So we gave four categories and kids in the very first one that we had kids from Argentina and the U S came together working on teams together. And we thought, Oh, there could be a language barrier problem. There might be an issue, not a problem. It was great. The kids came together and they had such intriguing, exciting projects that law firms got excited about the idea of one of the projects that was a cybersecurity solution that had eluded some of the experts in the world. And it was thought up by a 14 year old girl from Argentina. And so this is where we realized that there is untapped knowledge all over and that hackathons are a great place to find kids that have passion and desire. And that first one led to that. And the second one was addressing masks. And that one was with kids in Argentina, the US and Russia. And those are getting submitted to peer re reviewed um, journals 
and are being um, put on podcasts. And it's a ways that the kids thought up to bring um, more community awareness to COVID and mask wearing. So those two, we are going to keep doing those each year, but those two really kicked off um, a bigger understanding that we had that kids around the world are ready to work together and they can do a lot with uh, mentorship. They can take an idea and the mentors can help steer them away from an idea that may not work or past a wall that they get to. Um, it's If you bring high level experts to that, it takes their idea 10 times farther than it ever would have without them. And it's a lot of fun for the mentors as well. Uh, it was also featured in Forbes. So they really had a lot of success with those. With the hackathons, do you decide ahead of time what is the problem we're going to tackle here? Yes. You do. Okay. Um, but not, we do an umbrella. We give a very broad um, umbrella idea. So it could be health. It could be space. It could be masks. It's a very broad idea. Mm-hmm. And then we've found that when we leave it, make it really broad, the um, kids are able to come up with something that most people haven't thought about. As soon as we take away those boundaries they're really able to expand it so that then we can say, wow, this should be really looked at further. It's that Howard Gardner socializing intelligence, right? That we get smarter together and it's, we end up with these solutions that none of us would have come up with on our own. Absolutely. And not only that, but it's the meaningful connections that the students are making. So some of the students resubmitted and redid, reworked their projects that they did with us Mm -hmm. and submitted them to other hackathons as a team. Like they stayed together and they continued to communicate with each other beyond the hackathon. So yes, communication and meaningful connections we know are really good buffers for physical and emotional health through the lifespan. And so seeing them start that right now as teens was really very gratifying. I mean, these could be lifelong friendships that these kids are. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm in love with this and I want to figure out where I can watch the next one as it comes up. Oh, I'll I'll invite you to the next one. Thank you. Um, Okay. So these mentors, it started out with a few people hearing about it and more and more people wanting to be a part of it. Is that typically how this happens or do you ever seek out mentors where you think we're a little thin in this one area? I need to find somebody. How does this happen? You know, Yes. Most of the time it's that people know people who are mentors and they said, how can I join? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but we have asked a few if they would, um, mentor and especially in some of the areas that are that, that, like you said, we're, we were a little thin in, and that has happened in our entrepreneur category. And the reason for that is that, you know, we're, we started out just doing STEM And one of the things that has been an issue is that people have great ideas and they sit on a shelf when they're done. And that's because they don't know how to patent and they don't know how to take their big ideas to become a company. So our feeling was that we needed to bring on writers and people who um, could help with the entrepreneurial process to carry those ideas further and get as much as we can out of those ideas and to teach future engineers and scientists, that their ideas can go out beyond academia and into, um, you know, the real world setting. So does somebody have to qualify in some way to be a mentor? What do they need to do? 
So mentors, um, first of all, need to have the desire to give back um, without, you know, expecting anything other than um, the gratification that comes with it. Um, and also they um, should have an accomplishment or an expertise in an area that uh, we're involved with. So science, technology, engineering, art, math, business, law, um, uh, and we, we um, are also doing um, entrepreneurship and will probably expand into sports. And then do they receive any kind of training in how to be a mentor? Yes. Because we know that content experts aren't necessarily always automatically great communicators or teachers. So, Right. So we do um, a, a fairly rigorous onboarding. So there are, there's a lot, including a background check that we have to do on each mentor. And during that time, we also are pretty clear about um, checking out how the mentors interact with others. And we'll oftentimes start with maybe an Ask Me Anything session or a video um, session to see how the person can deliver their content. We're looking at it from a mentor perspective also. We want them to feel comfortable mentoring. The mentor wants to know how they can best get their information out there. And so that's the way we work at it. Connecting a mentor with your students can really bring learning to life. Another way to bring learning to life is through hands-on, customized, project-based learning. We are Educurious, and we design K-12 project-based learning curriculum and immersive professional development opportunities for educators. At Educurious, we are guided by the belief that each and every student deserves an equitable chance at success. Learn more about all that Educurious has to offer you and your students at edcuration.com, linked in the episode notes. And now, back to Deborah. You've spoken in your research with a lot of high-profile, kind of world-shifting people, and I'd love to hear about the most valuable lessons you've learned from your own mentors. My very first mentor that I can remember was my grandfather, who, t who told me that everyone has a story. He really made me notice people and know, know that they have a story and it might not be what you think it is on the outside. And that's one of the reasons I became a psychologist, because I love the story that individuals have. And that resonated from the time I was five all the way into my mid-50s now. Um, in terms of the stories that I've heard from others, oh my gosh, um, I will tell you that almost everyone who talks about mentoring cries and it can be the biggest, toughest Marine ever. I'll tell you one that is just coming to mind now is um, Jim Moriarty. He's the person who invented mass tort law. He was at the, the peak of his um, busyness uh, at, in a law firm, really successful, enormously successful. And somebody came in and said, I need a new liver. Um, I need you to help me to do a lawsuit so I can get a new liver because my insurance company is taking too long. And he said to her, listen, I'm going to give you some advice and, you know, I hope you'll take it. And he could have taken the case. It would have been another successful case. He knew he'd win it, but he said, I, I think that you may win this case, but you might not live to see it. Um, I would love it if you would 
go ahead and raise money and get yourself the liver that you need and then live the life that you want to live so that your life isn't spent just um, pursuing something that's bothering you. Mm -hmm. So she did follow his advice and she continued to Mm -hmm. seek his advice. And it turned out that she not only raised enough money for her own kidney, but she started a foundation that raised money for thousands of others to receive kidneys. So I admittedly lost track of whether we were talking about a single liver or multiple kidneys or both. But the point is that health insurance red tape is enough to make us all homicidal. And this dying woman created a way around that broken system and took a lot of people with her just because of something that someone said to her. And that is the power of entering into relationships with an attitude of availability and mentorship. So this mentorship that he talks about, it brings him to tears when he talks about it, because what someone else might have thought was just a throwaway moment, or they might have taken it for granted, changed the world in a significant way because thousands of lives were saved. And that was the kickoff for me. When I heard that, I said, wow you're right. You touch one life and who knows how many others you touch when you make a positive change. That is so moving because it changed her trajectory and the course of so many other lives. And it's still continuing um, because each one of those, it's, it's a continuing thing. It's just lovely. Nomino. So beautiful. And so you've started working with schools with the mentorship project Can you explain, because our listeners are primarily K-12 educators. So how do you work with schools? How does it work logistically? So we work with every school that we get involved with um, individually. So it depends on the needs. So for example, in Robeson County, North Carolina, we work with that school district. And they're the third poorest county in the country. So they have needs that are quite specific. Our goal there is to give them as much as we possibly can that will help to elevate the entire community. So what we did in that school was we brought, uh, we partnered with Embedded Ventures. They donated $24,000 worth of STEM kits to the students and taught them how to, um, I think it was about 80 students, how to um, assemble 8-bit computers. And then we were able to work with a partner at Astra Media who sponsored um, the National STEM Honor Society to become involved with the school so that now they can continue with their um, STEM programming each year. And those students can, as they get older, continue with um, the STEM National Honor Society doing additional STEM projects. And that's useful to them to get them into college, to get them additional resources, to fulfill some of the um, educational components that they may not be able to get otherwise. So that's one example. We used to go into classrooms and bring our mentors and they would give inspiring talks and and teach kids how to put together penny batteries and all of that. And that has changed. So what we've been doing now is a lot of ask me anything sessions. So especially elementary schools love to hear from bankers and from astrophysicists who give the misconceptions on astronomy and what would happen if there wasn't a moon. And they love to meet um, astronauts. Uh, We bring in artists and things like that. We put it on in the evening and we found that the parents come on a lot too. 
And they're able to do breakout sessions and meet with kids from around the world and around the country. We're also going to be doing our through after school programs. So we're partnering with um, New York Edge. It serves about 41,000 kids in, in uh, New York City, in all the boroughs. And so we're going to be doing programming in the arts with them, bringing some amazing artists, um, uh, puppeteer Marilyn Price, uh, doing her DIY puppetry and storytelling. So that's the very first exposure to what could be engineering or um, maker um, uh, sort of work and bringing that storytelling. So we're going to be doing that with a school in Tanzania with about 500 students that are in Tanzania and doing a co-programming event. So it depends on what the school needs. It depends on what the school wants, but we really target come in and say which mentor is a good fit for this and let it go. I'm wondering if it works both ways where you, you say we're the mentor project and we have these programs and you schools can be a part of these. You can, yeah. in, you can participate, but also can a teacher or a school reach out to you and say, I would love it if you could arrange for this kind of person to talk to my class. Oh, that totally happens. Both happen. Totally. Absolutely. Okay. And we respond to every single request and we look to make every single request happen. So the teacher listening right now who wants to get connected can just go to the mentor project. Yes. And if you click on the ask a mentor button, or if you click on the contact form and you just ask a question, you will get a response. Okay. In the hackathons, you bring kids together from all over the world, but is there also a way for um, different schools around the world to collaborate on projects outside of the hackathon situation? Yeah. So in April, we're going to be having Young Entrepreneurs of the World conference uh, that will also offer certification on the foundations of entrepreneurship. That's going to be for college students. With um, younger kids, we're going to be offering the same for schools. And the criteria is that you just have to be a student. Yeah. So I'm imagining maybe some adults listening, feeling a little left out and thinking, I want a mentor. I want to, I'm a, an adult changing careers or something like that. Um, do you envision ever opening this up to anybody who wants you to? You know, we may, I don't, I can't say we will right away. Our first is to kids, but we do get a lot of adults asking for mentors people are allowed to come into any of our open and live stream programming. Um, but we do reserve our mentors for kids. Okay. So what, talk about your live stream programming. So we have some amazing people. So Ruth Gotian, who's the chief learning officer for Cornell while she um, runs optimize your success, which is phenomenal for any age. It's really geared for high school and above, but it's a lot of adults who watch it. Um, and that's where she brings in really successful people like Nobel laureates, um, Olympians, um, CEOs from Fortune 500 companies. And she talks about success with them. You can comment and those go directly to the panel and they can answer the questions um, during those live streams. So we have that one that is really popular with adults. Um, adults come on that all the time. And that is where, you you know, if you start a dialogue with someone, you can get some quick mentorship from somebody um, in that respect. True. Ruth has been on the, our podcast and she connected me with you. So 
See, it's, it's we, how it all works. It's how it all works. And I love it that we're now in that circle with all of you. Um, I am can you talk, Deborah, about who your own mentors are? Oh, absolutely. So um, my mentors now are, I have pretty much the entire C-suite of um, the Mentor Project truly on a daily basis. I'm turning to one of them uh, to ask them for advice. Everything I do is a joint effort um, with myself and at least one other mentor. And a mentorship relationship doesn't have to be official, right? You don't have to say, would you be my mentor and set up some kind of a structured program with a person for them to be a mentor in your life? No. And we discourage that thinking in a lot of ways because people, when they think of a formal mentor and saying, you are my mentor, like we are now boyfriend and girlfriend, or we are now partners in some way is not the way that it should work. Um, mentors, it should be a free flowing um, dual relationship. And so I may call upon a mentor for a question. I see them as a mentor because I'm seeking um, some assistance from them or guidance. They may not even know they're my mentor. So then if I declare it, A, it's awkward, but B, then there's a whole idea of some formal relationship that we should be in that doesn't necessarily have to be like that. So when you make friends with someone, you don't go up to them and say the first time you meet, hi, would you now like to be lifelong friends? It doesn't usually happen that way. Putting those parameters on it makes mentorship a chore instead of, you know, a meaningful, fun relationship. Yeah. And my guess is that most of those people that you mentioned as your mentors probably consider you their mentor as well. Maybe it goes both ways. That often happens. Yes, that often happens um, because my area of expertise is completely different than theirs. Mm -hmm. And another thing that most people don't think of, no one ever asks a lateral mentor. It's a term that I coined to talk about how we do a lot of our mentoring is, is laterally. It's not hierarchically. So the lateral mentoring is something that we just do all the time. People will say, oh, that's collaborating, but it's not. So, but there's still some intentionality on our part to kind of seek that person out and intentionally try to absorb um, some knowledge or skills that they have to offer us. We should always be doing that yeah. in everything. We should be intentional in what we're doing. So it's when we're not intentional that we miss the big idea, that we miss, you know, an opportunity, that a door opens that we didn't see. And so when we're intentional, that person will say, did you see that door just open? Go walk through it. And that's where we really are doing ourselves a service by being intentional. And it's incredibly important as a mentor to be intentional and to acknowledge that you're giving mentorship. Because otherwise you don't get the benefits. You don't get to, there's a joy and pleasure when you see someone achieve something. When Eitan Gautian um, got his second patent, we all made him hold it up and show us. We felt like proud parents and he's not our kid. We would have missed that. Yeah. And who doesn't like to feel that heartful of, you know, positive emotion and joy. Yeah. And also just 
like just being aware that what you do impacts people. So as a mentor, as a person in that position, just knowing that I need to, I need to tread with wisdom and care because I have influence. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was well said. Um, so it's January and it's national mentor month, which I didn't even know was a thing. Tell us about that. Of course, at the mentor project, we really believe that it's important to, um, highlight the importance of mentorship from the perspective of the mentor and all that mentors get from it. And so, um, where, whereas we know mentees get a lot, um, mentors also get a lot. So I'm hoping that everyone during national mentor month, either looks to acknowledge a mentor that they have had, who's helped them along the way, or they look to mentor someone else with the expertise that they have, um, or do both. I'm really hoping that this month, everyone will see themselves as a mentor and a mentee. So they, listeners who are excited now, want to get involved, want to be mentors, have mentors, where are all of the places that they can find you and get involved? Fortunately, we're everywhere. You can come to our website, mentorproject.org. We're on LinkedIn. We have a page called The Mentor Project. We're on Facebook, The Mentor Project. We are on Twitter, Mentor Project. Instagram, Mentor Project. And if you reach out to us, we'd love it if you are interested in seeking mentorship. If you'd like to get your school involved, if you have a group who'd like to get involved, we work with the Girl Scouts, reach out to us if you're a school, if you're a student, or if you'd like to mentor. Yeah. Don't be a Scrooge. Get involved in mentoring. Pay it forward, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll find links to The Mentor Project, all of their social media feeds, and all the resources mentioned in this episode in the episode notes. Along with The Mentor Project, you'll find today's sponsor, EduCurious, providing curriculum and training to create truly transformative project-based learning. Ms. Katie, a teacher at Cleveland High School, said about EduCurious, For me, the rigor was the most valuable part of this work, and the high engagement of the tasks and the connection to the real world gives you the tools you need to push kids farther than I've been able to in the past. Connect to EduCurious at edcuration.com to ask a question, request a demo or a quote, or just start a dialogue about how to make learning more relevant and engaging. While you're at EdCuration, we invite you to set up your own educator dashboard to save your favorite resources and free digital explorations, micro-professional learning for educators, We're grateful that you joined us for this episode, and we hope you'll like us, follow us, give us a star rating, and join us again next week to reshape learning on the Ed Curation Podcast.